Welcome to the Total Car Score Podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. Well, welcome back to the Total Car Score Podcast with Carl Brower and Lauren Fix. And can you believe it, guys? This is the last episode of our first season. So congratulations on that <laughs> To both of yeah, you. I can't Lauren. believe it. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. great. Yeah, Part I'm excited. You know, we've we've changed a lot. We've grown. We're, we're not, not that we already know each other, but it's learning the business and learning podcasting and answering uh, viewers' questions and stuff and social media added into the mix is always exciting. Yeah, and I, with the uncertainty about uh, with the pandemic and all that, like. Carl changed jobs. Uh, we lost some job opportunities with no auto shows and all that. So that's why we created this. I I really have enjoyed doing it. And uh, I think from the feedback I'm getting from people who have been on the on the podcast, I think they really like it. So thank you for that. I, As I told Carl the, uh, in recent segments, I think I'm the weakest link in this group, but I really enjoy being that. You guys are much better than me. I don't know I about that. that. <laughs> I think it's a good combination. Yes. No, I think it works it's good that well. we're friends too. Yeah, that always helps. Yeah, Amazing. no, it, it it does. And uh, it's been an interesting process, you know, just uh, everything from equipment, making sure we sound good to, you know, figuring out the best kind of combination of uh, structure and free flow when we're talking, you know, before that we start and during. But I think, you know, now we're starting to roll in other people outside, you know, uh, industry folks that can come in and talk with us who I think between the three of us, we pretty much know everybody. So, uh, yeah, yeah that's probably yeah. true. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely an interesting year. And, uh, well, we have actually news to analyze because last, uh, Friday, last week, I don't remember exactly. Uh, no, I think what well, last, uh, Thursday, the North American car, Utility Vehicle and Truck of the Year Award announced the finalists uh, for this year a little bit later than normal, right? Because uh, they would have been announced in the LA Auto Show that obviously didn't happen this year. So right, that would have been uh, November. Typically, that's the way we do it. Exactly. So, Carl, do you go ahead and give the list? So we, yeah, we now know who the three vehicles from each category are. And for car, we've got uh, GV, sorry, GV and GV80 both made it actually, but G80 and Sentra and Elantra. So Hyundai. Genesis G80. Wow. That's big. That's a brand new car. Yeah. Brand new, brand new car. But uh, I think a lot of us were impressed with that one. So that one made it. The Elantra had a really good uh, complete makeover for the entire model line, including um, their high performance versions that they're going to start introducing the uh, N line and then the N, which is a little confusing if you ask me, because it's like, okay, and the N is the more powerful version from the N line and all that. But uh, they do drive well and they have a lot of standard features and a lot of value, typical Hyundai. And then GV80, same thing, very, very good value and a lot of great new things offered on it. And then the Sentra, is really the value player uh, when you get inside it and you look into the interior and it's an economy compact car and it's pretty amazing what it's got and a lot of good standard safety tech too but that's my take what do you guys think well i'm uh, i'm gonna say the cars that were eliminated because they were really good candidate and that like really shows how difficult these uh, decisions were so the Acura tlx that we talk about and everybody like the cadillac ct4 and ct4b that i really was surprised with uh when i drove it first 
Then the Kia K5, which replaced the Optima, the Mercedes-Benz E-Class, and the Polestar 2, the electric car from the, the new division from Volvo. So, I mean, they were really, yeah, really... Yeah, all of them. Yeah, really good candidates. So, But I have to agree. I mean, the, the G80 is a fantastic car, and uh, the Elantra was not surprised because I think uh, Carl and, and, and us were talking about it. It's not like... A surprise anymore, right? Like the previous generation was really good. Maybe like a Kia and Hyundai are are battling each other because the Kia K5. I don't know the the distribution of the votes, and I don't think we reveal that. But uh, I mean, it must have been really really close, right, Carl? I think so. I mean, to me, you've got cars that are really good that are being replaced, and so. How much better can you be when the car that's going out was already really good? Um, and, you know, the Elantra has won in the past. That that car won North American Car of the Year, like, I think around 10 years ago. So on a previous, read, on, you know, a couple generations ago. So it's not like the new Elantra isn't good. It's just how much better is it than the previous one that was already really good, too. And then sort of the same argument could be made with the Optima, which is now the K5. Uh, they changed the name, but it's the same same basic vehicle filling the same role in their model line. I personally felt like the K5 was a bit more of a leap from the Optima than the new Elantra is from the old one. But they're they're both great cars, replacing great cars. So you're starting to really kind of split very narrow hairs here as far as which one more deserved to be in the in the finalist list. I think the Sentra was a huge leap from the last Sentra, so I'm glad that it made it. Uh, and I think the G80 is a very impressive car. I think it was a big leap from uh, the previous luxury sedans from from Genesis. So Yeah, let's jump to the, the utility vehicle list because uh, otherwise we're going to run out of time. Yeah, that one's really <laughs> crazy. And so GV80, Fender, yeah. and Mustang Mark E, right? Uh, yeah. Lauren, your opinion, especially with the Mark E that you, I don't know if you already start getting getting close to it, <laughs> like liking it. Who, me? Uh, we've driven yeah. all of them. I, I had the Mark E for uh, about three days. I, they were supposed to leave it for me with 24 hours, but the truck driver from the rig broke down. I'm like, okay. Uh, but the Mark E, you know, I the biggest pushback we're getting is don't go down the rabbit hole of calling it a Mustang because it's not. It's not in any way, shape, or form. But they pushed very hard to get us in these vehicles. And I think when Ford did that, they kind of screwed themselves by not getting the Bronco Sport in, which I thought deserved it. Uh, again, we not enough of us got into the car. Uh, the Defender, they went to a lot of effort to get that vehicle into our hands. And the GV80, I love the GV80 with the V6 engine, three rows. I, I don't know. There's something about the GV80. I just love the Defenders. It's all about off-road and the Mach-E. I, you know, I would never own one, but, you know, they're electric uh, SUVs and they're, they're, you know, it's not, it's well built. It's just, I'm so mad about the name. It really oh. pushes me back. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, I mean, I, yeah, Ford uh, had two competitors and like they eliminated each other, I guess. But uh, I, I agree with the, with the finalists. Uh, again, we have the potential of uh, another one, two from the Koreans, right? With uh, G80, Elantra, GV80 in the utility vehicle of the year car. And then finally in the truck, uh, F-150, no surprise there. TRX, the, no surprise there. The Mojave maybe, yeah, because it wasn't really a new truck. It was just like a, a variant of the original, right, Carl? Yeah, that one I felt a little feels felt a little, you know, tight even getting into the finalist list as the Gladiator Mojave, you know, trim level, which is really not, a new enough thing for a lot of in a lot of people's minds to even have been considered given that the awards are supposed to be for all new or substantially updated and changed vehicles 
but it displaced the um, heavy-duty Ford trucks. So the F-150 TRX and Jeep Gladiator Mojave make the cut, and the F-150 heavy-duty, sorry, the F-Series heavy-duties gets pushed out. But I think, you know, let's let's just be honest. We got three jurors here out of 50. Anyone on the anyone on the podcast right now want to say it's not going to be the F one fifty for truck of the year? Let's just let's just call no, it. No, it's, no it's, it it's, there's no way it is. If it if it is, I'll be shocked. You can knock me over with a feather. I don't think Mojave is going to win. I'm surprised Super Duty didn't make it, but I love the TRX, great car. But the average person's never going to own that car. It's way expensive, and the F one fifty is still the number one best selling truck for the last 43 years so i i think it's got to be f-150 yeah so we got, are, are we officially making predictions then can i go sure, <laughs> go go, go. okay i'm gonna go with centra gb80 and f-150 Ooh, i'm gonna do the same i agree centra gb80 f-150 i'll be shocked if it i do like the g80 but the gb80 just has everything i really love it I think F-150 isn't a question. I think the only thing that possibly displaces the uh, GV80 is the is the Mach-E. If everyone decides it's just so forward-thinking and innovative that Ford came out with an electric uh, SUV that goes up against the Model Y and does a great job doing it. I just see. I just wrote the uh, wrote the quote for why that wins if it, if it does, but. Um, I don't necessarily think it will, and I don't necessarily think it should, but that would be the argument why it would win if it does. And then on the it's car before, yeah, it has. So, you know, um, I think a lot of people would love to see that. I think that would be this kind of very, let's just, how do I say this? Very popular, uh, uh, with, with, uh, a large segment of the population that'd be very popular for America's first good, serious electric vehicle to win, uh, electric SUV to win. So, that might be why it wins, whether or not any of them, you know, sell very well or whether or not it should have been called a Mustang. Some other questions. Didn't the Bolt EV win, which they sell like two of a year? Pretty sure it did. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, yeah. don't forget, last year we had the Corvette. Is it an amazing car? Absolutely. How many yes. people have one of those? I mean, especially no, right now, between strikes and pandemics, they've been having a very challenging time even making those. So the Corvette's impact on the market, is, which is supposed to be a consideration we all take into account, right? As jurors, we're supposed to not just think about the car. If there's two cars, and then you have to, you're supposed to think, okay, price and market uh, access. And that's where the argument that I think Lauren and I would both make, and maybe you too, Javier, a, lot, a far higher number of Bronco Sports are going to be sold. It's going to be a far more accessible yeah, vehicle and functional vehicle than the Mach-E. But Ford really wanted the Mach-E in there. So... No okay, tell me the car because we're running out of time before we go to break. Your pick for the car? Uh, me, my pick for car. Uh, I think it's going to be. I think it's probably going to be uh, Sentra. It should be, but but maybe Elantra. I don't think G eighty, but probably probably Sentra. Okay, Never we'll find tell. out soon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out soon. Uh, actually, in the next year, <laughs> which right. is like in two weeks. <laughs> right. So we'll be back with uh, with this podcast. to the second segment of this uh, Total Car Score podcast episode. And in this one, Lauren has really, really something interesting for everybody in and actually particularly people who are outside the automotive industry, right, Lauren? So a good thing for to start the next year, I guess. 
Yeah, you know, a lot of people are thinking that they have to change jobs. You know, things aren't going the way they planned. But not also a lot of kids going to, getting out of high school thinking, I don't want to go to college. This is not my thing. And it isn't for everyone. But what I will tell you something that's great is the auto industry offers a lot to everyone. And people think, oh, I'm not going to wrench on cars. There's so much more from an executive level, collision, you feel like working with your hands. You love computers. If you're a gamer, I mean, there's a million things. So I had an opportunity to speak uh, with Scott Trainer from USA Motor Jobs. They have an app you can get on. There's all kinds of automotive jobs out there. And there's such a demand that they've actually created their own site. If you're listening to us in Canada, there's also Canada Motor Jobs. Let's hear what Scott has to say about the industry. Um, good morning, Scott. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. You know, I really want to get your insight on uh, automotive jobs, both in USA and Canada, because our podcast goes everywhere. Uh, but we really want to get a good feel for people are looking for jobs and they think, oh, I went to college. I have to find a accounting job or something. But they never think of the auto industry and they always think, oh, well, that's, you know, guys wrenching on cars and people standing behind counters are selling cars. But there's so much more. So I wanted to get your expertise. Yeah, well, I'm very happy you bring up because uh, most people getting out of college, they don't think of actually looking for positions in the automotive industry. They're looking for big corporations, uh, their typical standard office jobs, whereas in the automotive industry, there are many opportunities to be had. There's so much more than just a sales and service department when it goes into the automotive industry. Uh, you can go from accounting to human resources to marketing. So there really is um, much more, like you said, than somebody standing behind a counter or working on a car. So how, what's the demand right now for jobs in, in North America even? I mean, some people will be willing to move to another country, some wouldn't. But if, if you're in your area, how do you know where the jobs are? How do you find all these jobs? Because I, I'm, I keep thinking to myself, with all of these opportunities that are out there, how do I find them? That's why we created our portal. Uh, it's usamotorjobs.com. It is automotive industry dedicated. So you will find jobs in the automotive industry, but we have everything uh, listed and all the other positions as well available. So companies come to you, they post their postings, and then people will come on and they look for those postings. Uh, I guess, I don't think anything's ever been like that before. I mean, we know like Glassdoor and all that kind of stuff, but this is a whole different area. I mean, this total, your business totally specializes in just the automotive industry. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, because there is a big, big demand. Most people don't realize it, but there is a shortage of staff. There's a shortage of skilled labor as well. So we wanted to get the word out there dedicated for this industry. Where do you see the biggest openings right now? Right now, the biggest are actually in technicians because most people getting out of uh, who are going into school, they're being told get a degree, get a diploma. Nobody is going into the trades anymore. Yet they are the more secured uh, jobs right now. So, so ballpark range. I know that you have to take tests, right? Uh, here in the USA, we have ASC testing, or you can you can get a ASA does testing as well. But you know, what kind of education is required? Because cars aren't like a wrenching anymore there's a lot of computer technology involved yeah well most of it is taught in the trades now uh so with the trade schools they would teach you and get you set up for at least the basics and then the dealerships or the manufacturers tend to give you more specialized training on their products so uh what kind of price range are you thinking just ballpark what versus i know it's going to be different range from uh I, i'm looking to be a mechanic i want to start my own shop to i'm going to work for uh, audi or something like that do you have any idea of price ranges on that just as, as a technician as a technician right now, um, anybody with experience, there is big on, even sign-on bonuses right now. So there is a, a big shortage. So you're looking anywhere from forty uh, to $90,000 a year as a salary right now. 
Wow, that's a lot. I mean, you would never <laughs> think that. And you don't have to go to college for this either. I mean, if you have, no, that, you know. Your trade you, and it's a job and it's a career that's going to be guaranteed for years. There's always right. going to be a need for this. Yes, the technology changes. Too. Yeah, most of the, especially with the big groups, there is benefits, uh, 401ks, health insurance, uh, life insurance, and so on. Well, that, that's, I think people don't realize that. Now, I did hear, and you can let me know if I'm right or wrong, that there is a huge shortage in diesel techs. Can you uh, expand on that? Yeah, diesel is even more of a niche product because there aren't as many vehicles. So even when we're looking at heavy-duty machinery, uh, tractors, trucks, so on and so forth, there's even less people studying in that trade as well. So, I mean, what we're trying to do as well is we're reaching out to veterans and look, because often the mechanics there were working on diesel vehicles and trying to bring them on into the automotive industry. You know, I think that's interesting because I think people think that being, you know, what they call a wrench. Now, that's not male or female specific. It seems to be more and more women uh, getting involved in this. Oh, very much so. <laughs> we're seeing a big change in the culture and in the mentality and what's viewed through uh, gender roles. Or, uh, it's pretty fluid right now. <laughs> I think the thing is, it's a mindset um, where it used to be you had to go to college and then you get to college and you go, I hate it here. I didn't like school to begin with. What? How did I end up here? So this is another option. Now, what if you're not good working with your hands? Uh, are there openings for you know service writers, people that stand behind the counter and take the orders? Yeah, you can work at service. You can work in the parts department as well. So there are many different um career opportunities that aren't necessarily working like I personally did study mechanics and then I chose to go into the sales department after as a prime example so right. there are a, you many... can make a lot of money doing that <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly I, I think people overlook that because you tend to think oh used car salesman is like the first thing that comes to your mother's mind when you say I'm gonna you know I mean, as a kid coming out of high school I'm gonna go into the auto industry um but I think there's more to it. I mean, at a, a dealership level, is there a lot of demand right now for other positions other than sales, service, and technicians? Yeah, right now they're looking for a lot of human resources. Uh, even the dealer groups are looking for talent acquisition specialists. So people that are basically headhunters for the groups. So there's a big demand for those and accounting as well right now. We do have many, many posts uh, looking for skilled accountants. So anybody who even did go and get a diploma and went to a course for accounting, well, there is jobs in the automotive industry for them right now. I think there's management positions as well. I think everyone's looking for the best they can get. And if you bring something from another industry, I think that that uh, expands your opportunities. Um, what about management level? So someone who's been a manager their whole life and even in another industry, are there openings in that area? Yeah, well, it depends. Obviously, when you're looking, obviously, when you're looking in the sales department, uh, they tend to hire managers from within. You could be a financial manager in this and that coming from another industry, no problem. Um, but when we're looking for general managers, regional managers, corporate managers, you can come from other industries, and there is a demand right now at this at this time. So this is on the executive level too. I like, are you getting exactly. that from the like car manufacturers? Car manufacturers as well, exactly. Yeah, because I know that a lot of times they're looking for people that want to get into the auto industry, working for the OEs, the actual manufacturers of the car brands, uh, from every brand. And the problem is finding talent. Um, and I, see, I think that's kind of how you got started with this business, right? Yeah, that's it. We're trying to reach out to different segments, to different uh, industries, sorry, I should say. And let them know that there are career opportunities, well-paying jobs in the automotive industry for them. And there's a big demand right now. Uh, so then perhaps they didn't consider the automotive industry, but now we're showing them the potential, what they can uh, achieve. And the, they're starting to come on board. Now this, is in, this is across all of North America, am I correct? Like even Canada and Mexico, where there's a shortage of talent? 
Yeah, Mexico were not present, but I know it is the same situation down there, yes. (laughs) So we started in Canada, and then we uh, expanded with uh, USA Motor Jobs, where we have the huge demand right now. (laughs) I bet. And the funny thing is, you know, a lot of these veterans come back and they think, well, I was, you know, working on a truck or I was out in the field or I had a whatever ranking and they're having trouble getting jobs. So if you're a vet and you're listening, are there opportunities? Yeah, because many of them as well, we're working with vehicles. Uh, there are mechanics in the coming through with the veterans. So there is a demand. That's why I'm trying to reach out to veteran uh, organizations and such to let them know, hey, I know you're back. Thank you for your service. Now let us help you in the next step of your career. Uh, if they do want to go into sales, we have that as well. Uh, human resources, even. There is veterans that are coming from the administrative section, and we have opportunities for them in the automotive industry. Right. Now, you, do you also help with uh, commercial trucking? I mean, some people like being alone. They want to be in a truck and do that coast-to-coast haul. And uh, is that something that you can also help them uh, get involved with a trucking company? We do have contacts. Right now, we aren't uh, specializing in hiring uh, LTL drivers. It's not, um, it's not our forte, uh, but we do have contacts in, uh, in that industry if they need. Posting on our job sites, though, it would be more the mechanics and such for the uh, heavy industries. Yes, yeah, so there's a huge demand. So anytime if you're coming out of school and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, I don't want to go to college. It's not my thing. It's not for everybody. And some people are really great with their brains. You know, they're just creative and artistic. And I think that's one of the big things of being a technician is it's no longer turning a wrench. It's now you have to know computers. And is that something that you have to be a computer, like a gamer or something? Does that help? It definitely helps. Um, (laughs) The cars have come a long way. Uh, You're no longer there trying to find every single problem. You're plugging in scanners. You're hooking up laptops to the cars. So basic computer knowledge is uh, an asset. If you fully understand and you're a true tech gamer, uh, then you'll love it even more, especially when you're looking on uh, more high-end cars or hybrids or electric cars. That would really be your, uh, (laughs) your specialty. So in electric cars, is that going to change the field in your opinion? It's definitely going to change. It's a lot more, like I said, you're plugging in a computer, trying to diagnose it completely differently. Obviously, with an electric vehicle, you don't have an internal combustion engine. So the parts are different, the way the mechanisms work. You don't have oil, so you're not doing oil changes. Um, But uh, everything evolves, but the demand is always going to be there. So the industry always gives you the ongoing training. So it's not like you're going to be left behind in the dust. You just adapt to it as the industry evolves. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how things, ha- yeah, that's true. And you're always getting tested. And, and that's and it's not tested in a bad way. If you know your business and you, you know how to turn on turn wrenches and you want to become a master tech, you can take all the ASC techs. I, I'm an ASC techist, but, uh, but being an ASC tech, uh i'm only specializing in one area (laughs) but you can you can specialize in evs or brakes or air conditioning and there's a demand for that yeah even in uh, body work there's a big demand sorry (laughs) there's a big demand in collision centers um so anybody who's coming out who was uh able to do painting of vehicles or they were able to do uh welding or sheet metal the collision centers right now are in a big shortage, which we also have their uh, opportunities listed available on our site. Well, that's good. You know, if you like working with your hands and you're creative, because that's a piece of art. A car's become a piece of art, I think. You know, being able yeah. to play up body work and, and paint and get that that look that, that your customer yeah. will be happy with. Yeah, and then, of course, there's restoration businesses looking for jobs as well. 
I know McPherson College has a lot of uh, students that graduate and they think they're going to get jobs or start their own restoration business. And sometimes you have to work for somebody else first. So, I mean, you should, you can always look in that area too. If, if you're into modifying cars, there's a lot of areas that uh, people overlook, especially the painting. I think collision is a big area and that's not going to end no matter what you're driving on the road. No, not at all. And uh, also when, uh, when we're looking too, there's the big aftermarket, which we didn't even discuss yet. So when you're looking performance or parts or any off-roading, there's the whole aftermarket segment that's part of the automotive industry as well. So it's a lot bigger than people think. <laughs> wow. So, so there are any other areas that people can look at? I think the aftermarket does get overlooked, you know, hop up parts and you know, just modifying cars and pinstriping, which no one does anymore, but, you know, decaling your cars, knowing all that mm-hmm. is a skill. And I, you learn on the job. I mean, uh, I own a, a tube manufacturing company. We have trouble finding good employees. Um, so we go to usamotorjobs.com and we put our postings up there. And I, I think this is something to think about, whether it's sales or you're just passionate about cars. I think there's a ton of ways to make money. I always say, if you love what you do and do what you love. You never work a day in your life. Exactly. I, I cannot agree more with that statement. <laughs> so if I want to learn more about where your jobs are, or I'm an employer and I'm listening and boy, we could really use some good talent. How do I reach you in both USA and Canada? Because our podcast goes everywhere. So we want to make sure that if you're interested, how do we get a hold of you? Yeah, well, you would find me at, uh, you can first go on to usamotorjobs.com or canadamotorjobs.com. If you are a job seeker, you would then create your profile. If you don't see a job right now in your area, we strongly do suggest creating your profile right away. That way you will get notified when one comes up in your area. Uh, Jobs are constantly being posted, being filled. So don't get discouraged if you don't see something in your area right away. Sign up. It is free. It's always free for the job seekers. And that way you'll get notified and you can be one of the first candidates to apply. If you are an employer looking to post, uh, you can reach me uh, on my email, either at S-T-R-A-I-N-O-R at usamotorjobs.com or S-T-R-A-I-N-O-R at canadamotorjobs.com. And I'll gladly get you guys set up and uh, get you guys going. It sounds like you've created a nice little niche here. I mean, people that are interested in this industry, that's because you get kind of washed into like glass door indeed, and you, you don't even know. You know what I mean? This sort of specializes in an area where there's a huge demand and money to be made. And we, we are glad that you have come up with these websites so that uh, people can get positions right away. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And what the employers, the feedback we are getting for them is that they are getting more quant, uh, quality over quantity with our site. Well, that was really great, uh, Lauren. Uh, thank you for that. And I think, I hope it serves a lot of people. And uh, when we come back from for the last segment, I have another interview. This one about auto insurance. I think anybody, everybody has to listen to it because everybody has to have it. So we'll be back with that. segment of the Total Car Score podcast. And uh, as I was saying, we had the chance to talk to State Farm, a representative from State Farm, and also from Cambridge Mobile Telematics. So Scott Bruns from State Farm is the property and casualty accrual director. So basically the person who, well, who leads the group, who determines how much you pay for your insurance. And then we have William B. Powers from Cambridge Mobile Telematics, who is has partnered with State Farm, and they have created this uh, system in which basically your either your telephone, your cell phone, 
or a device in your car determines how are you driving and how much you're going to pay. So I think this is going to be very interesting to everybody who is behind the wheel and maybe change your idea about insurance. Well, here we are at the, with this topic. And the name of the topic is the future of insurance. But uh, according to what I've read and, and hear from uh, Cambridge Mobile Telematics and State Farm, this is already happening, right, Bill? It is. It is. We've been, uh, we've been working together for seven or eight years now. So can you briefly explain what, what this is uh, for, for the audience to understand uh, not only the technology, how it works, but uh, again, and then like Scott will, will explain the benefits of it. Are you talking about telematics in general, Javier? Yeah. So uh, telematics is essentially um, what we would say measuring how an individual drives. We accomplish that through a technology platform called DriveWell. And DriveWell can be uh, measured on your mobile phone or with a small IoT device that affixes to the windshield uh, of the vehicle that connects to the phone. So it measures driving behavior, it measures heartbreaking acceleration, it's wonderful for crash reconstruction and for claims. Uh, that's a quick telematics overview 101. So this will, uh, this is for Scott. So uh, Scott, this will uh, essentially benefit the people who use it, especially like the, the ones that are more into that category that supposedly is like the most dangerous driver in the world, the 26-year-old or younger male driver. <laughs> yeah, Javier, it's really ability for for insurance customers to really harness their own driving data to better personalize their insurance rate. And so, you know, insurance companies for, for decades since the uh, onset of, of auto insurance have had the task of, of measuring insurance risk when it comes to, to uh, folks who drive cars. And, uh, you know, a lot of proxies for risk, such as age, when you mentioned there, you know, younger drivers tending to be more risky and that type of thing. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, those proxies are, deter are, are attempting to determine just, well, how do people drive? Uh, most people think they're better than average driver, but uh, you and I uh, know they aren't, right? We observe that every day. And yeah. so using technology to just better assess, you know, how aggressive, how dangerous does someone drive versus others? And the ability to then um, use that in State Farm's Drive Safe and Save program to allow customers to earn an insurance discount uh, once they've proven their uh, their driving behaviors. And is there a number, like in percentage, or how much people could save using this sure. technology? Sure, it's a it's a minimum guaranteed discount, no matter what, for State Farm. But it's a discount as much as fifty percent in some rare cases. But uh, you know, uh, it's it's common to see discounts up to thirty percent. Uh, but discounts in the ten to fifteen percent range are are quite average um, and okay. common. And Will, you mentioned that this can be used by a separate device or your tele your personal cell phone. So I guess some people are gonna start or having that concern of like, okay, you're going through my phone, how much other information are you gonna be capturing for that? Or how, how does that work? How do people can feel, uh, can, can sure. trust the system in terms of privacy? Sure, yeah, I, I, know, I know Bill will have some comments. Bill, why don't you start on this one? Sure, so I think um, what's interesting is we don't track driver behavior. We don't, we don't track people rather, we track, we measure uh, how one individual drives. It's an opt-in program Uh, ironically, uh, most people have so many location services on their phone already. 
for, you know, where is the best restaurant? Where's how far am I from a gas station? Things of that nature. So while I think a few years ago, people were far more concerned about this, it's becoming far more commonplace where um, if you think of the future of mobility, the present day of mobility and the future of mobility, whether it's telematics, whether it's ride sharing, whether it's autonomous driving, connected cars, we're all moving in this direction of a future of mobility. And what I think is wonderful about this is it's an opt-in program which provides huge economic rewards to people who drive well relative to their auto insurance. So, for example, the the, the application or the device that is going to be attached to my car won't know that, for example, I'll be going to maybe a bar and then to like uh, some other place that could be considered dangerous or something like that? No, it doesn't do that. It, it basically is uh, tracking mileage. Uh, the IoT device on the phone is not location driven. And so it's tracking mileage. It's tracking um, where you're where you're going. And it's really there for safety and security. So if one was in an accident, um, we could send roadside assistance to you. It, it's a huge value add. Uh, and it gives it gives a lot of security, particularly with younger drivers. If you're a parent of a younger driver and you have concerns about their risky behavior driving, this really, if there's an accident, well, we'll know right away and be able to call emergency services for you. Javier, I'll add that just, uh, you know, your question is a common one. It's the same question many of our customers have as they're considering the Drive Safe and Save program with State Farm. And, uh, and we assure our customers that we comply by State Farm's stringent privacy policy. We don't sell that data to others. Uh, we, we harness that data um, for purposes of calculating the insurance discount. And um, as Bill said, you know, other um, aspects of, of location uh, services, uh, that type of thing, really have other benefits for the customer to leverage themselves. But yeah, we ourselves aren't, aren't you know, tracking that customer. Uh, I prefer, as, as Bill put it, we're measuring, right? We're measuring uh, driving behavior uh, to just better assess risk and, ma and make it more of a personalized experience. If I could add to that, we, we at CMT take privacy and security very seriously. Uh, we are the leading edge of uh, companies in this space. Um, we are, uh, have started uh, a security uh, or privacy advisory board at the company with some of the leading privacy experts in the world. Um, and we're, we're really taking that because there are many companies in this space who unfortunately uh, don't take it seriously. And as Scott touched on, we're not reselling data for other purposes. This is solely for the purposes of uh, to give, in this case, State Farms, Drive Safe and Save customers a wonderful advantage. Let me ask both of you, I guess. I, I think I know more or less the, the input data that, that determines the, the how safe driver you are, but can you explain a little bit? Like, so it's like heart braking, heart acceleration, how fast you take a, a, a a turn, a curve on the highway or something like that? Uh, can you say Scott, that? I'd, Scott, sure. I'd like you to take that one. Yeah, so, yeah, you, you nailed it, Javier. Yeah, all those type of, of behaviors. I mean, just, uh, you know, take um, uh, hard deceleration, hard braking, as you said, which is measured by the, the smartphone components, um, and then hard acceleration. Those are indicative of riskier behaviors, right? The, and, and, you know, we all see those type of fo of drivers, right, in, in, in traffic or the ones that are, are trying to, to maneuver through traffic aggressively and, 
um, you know, uh, speeding right up to the, the red light till the last second and then hard braking. And, um, you know, that's personal choice folks make, but it doesn't come without consequence. And that those, uh, based on the, our own data, you know, uh, billions of miles of driving data collected. And of course, uh, through, through uh, millions of actual claims that our customers have, have uh, turned in for accidents, you know, those riskier behaviors translate to more accidents. Of course. And so insurance, you know, is all about uh, equity and being fair. And for those that are more likely to have more accidents, turn in more claims, you know, those folks should pay more versus safer drivers uh, who aren't going to have as many accidents. And in some cases, they're so safe, they'll never have an accident, right? Uh, they should pay less. Okay. So again, the title of the segment was the future of insurance, but this is already happening, right, Bill? Uh, so I have to uh, ask a question around the real future of the of insurance. For example, one thing that always some people talk about is like autonomous uh, driven cars that you mentioned that a, a little bit uh, in passing. What's going to happen with that when when people when cars are going to drive themselves? I mean, who's going to be insured? So um, I, I'm smiling. I wish you could see me right now. So. <laughs> The, Javier, those are wonderful um, headlines, but if we take a step back and we look at the number of, um, quote, connected vehicles on the road today or autonomous vehicles on the road today. So let's, let's talk about autonomous vehicles to answer your question specifically. So autonomous driving is uh, wonderful, but in order for it to be mass market adopted, whether it's in the United States or elsewhere, there are significant infrastructure needs that need to be built out in terms of cities and federal highways and uh, off ramps and things like that. So the, the autonomous vehicles are, are incredibly intelligent. They're, they're ready to go today. The problem that exists with them is not everyone on the road, um, like with all things technology, human beings are unpredictable. So the autonomous vehicle is predictable, but the human being is not. Yeah. When you factor in also that infrastructure on roads and highways uh, changes and is subject to the human condition as well. Now we're in a situation where when will it be? Another mathematical variable uh, around autonomous driving would be the length that a car is on the road. I think it's an average of 11 to 12 years in the United States. So most people won't have access to these vehicles. So when you take a step back and you look at this, it's really not about telematics or State Farm or autonomous driving. It's a combination of all of it. And I refer to that as the present day and future of mobility. CMT and our partners at State Farm are working literally daily on all of these likely or potential scenarios of what does a future of mobility look like. And I think that that gives our partners at State Farm as well as CMT a huge advantage because of the amount of scale we have and what we can do together to service this. Um, you see insurance companies talking about their own autonomous, uh, their own connected vehicles. And uh, we view, I'm sorry, automotive companies. We view our automotive company partners as true partners and uh, able to work together because we're always going to be able to track driver behavior, where some connected vehicles, at least early on, are tracking what the vehicle is doing, not what the human is doing. So I guess the great news is that we can keep having this segment for many years to come, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I don't I don't want to come across as dismissive or cavalier. No, no, no. I'm actually, I'm actually just making it a statistical analysis. So no, of course. autonomous driving is coming. Uh, I'm very proud to say that CMT is at the forefront of measuring all types of driving whether it's by a, a technology of an intelligent vehicle 
or a human being. And our partners at State Farm are right in front of that whole process as well. Great. So, Scott, uh, just to, to close uh, to close off the segment, can you explain how people can transfer their current policy if they don't have these sure. in their service already? Yeah, um, yeah, I'd love to share that. So, you know, for our current State Farm customers, it's as, as simple as calling uh, one of the 19,000 State Farm agents all across the country, uh, their own agent, uh, to, to help with, uh, initiate that process. Uh, it's, they don't need to change policies per se. It's just an additional discount on their current policy. And of course, for non-State Farm customers, uh, we'd love to have you on board. So again, uh, through um, through contacting a local agent or um, uh, statefarm.com or um, uh, our uh, State Farm call center, 1-800-STATE-FARM, um, you know, uh, customers can get connected with us that way. And uh, so, Javier, I'd, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't add, you know, kind of at the core of all this, and I know Bill will agree, is uh, creating safer drivers, safer driving environments. Yeah. Uh, State Farm has a decades-long history of promoting vehicular and uh, uh, driver-passenger road safety, right, and promoting uh, things that uh, can help further those causes. And this is just another case of that, you know, helping customers harness their own driving data to educate themselves. Uh, educate their team drivers. Uh, I've had, I've, I've gone through 14 drivers myself, and you know that's a bit of a harrowing experience for for parents when you see your um, your young teen pulling out of the driveway for the first time alone, and just to have some feedback, right, that you can then share with them to help improve their driving habits. For what um, is unfortunately uh, one of the number one killers of young teens is is still car accidents. So uh, we got a long way to go on the safety front. Uh, automated vehicles will be part of that solution, but as Bill alluded to, um, there'll be a, a, you know this mixture in in our ecosystem of of autonomous and non-autonomous vehicles that uh, we still want everyone to get to where they're going safely. Yeah, well, um, very very interesting and yeah, really important information. So thank you very much to both of you, Bill and Scott. Um, of course, we're going to share all this information with our audience, and we hope that uh, more people get into these uh, new ways of doing things. I mean, like technology is, is great, but it doesn't do anything if people don't use it, right? Correct. Javier, thank you so much for your time. All the best. Happy holidays. Same to you. Same to you, Scott. Javier, thank you. And thank you to the Total Car Score team. Really appreciate it. Well, there you have it, guys. And uh, with that, we'll put a close to the 2020 calendar year. And uh I'm sure you both are glad to say goodbye to this year, right, Lauren? Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I am done with this year. It's been not great for anybody. Yeah, it was a year of challenges and changes for pretty much everyone uh, on this podcast, I believe, and uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast, too. So, But uh, here we are. Uh, we've made it. If you're hearing my voice, then, then you made it. And uh, I think we all hope 2021 is maybe a little less disruptive and a little more uh, up, upbeat and optimistic. Well, when we talk to each other, it's going to be 2021. So we hope all that comes to, to be true. And uh, thanks again. And talk to you in 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for listening. For more, check us out online at TotalCarscore.com.